Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. So Steve's going to hate this, but I'm going to ask him to go ahead and come up and preach. And as he does, would you please join me in praising God and thanking them for how much we love them? You're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. You're really ridiculous. All right, cut it out. Silly, silly people. Silly preacher. Silly preacher you have here. Uh, nobody, uh, nobody could be doing what's happening here like Luke. I love this man so much and his wife. Thank you for loving him. I love it when I see you in public and they say, we miss you, but we love Luke. And uh, I always am thankful you attached that because that's as it should be. You have loved me so well through the decades and I'm so thankful you're loving him, and he loves you. I love you. I just love you. Um, you are a community for 35 years, and, and so we miss seeing you. We, we do miss you, but our lives going different directions now. We now live in Brownsburg. We have a, a son-in-law who preaches on, uh, on Lafayette Road, so uh, we have a couple of grandkids in Pike Township. We have five grandkids here. It's not our kids we care about, it's just our grandkids. And so we're, uh, we're, we're between the grandkids and trying to take part of their functions. Diane is busy building relationships and new groups of people she's a part of and our neighbors as well for the sake of the kingdom and building relationships with the kingdom. And I'm busy uh, as a chaplain with five businesses and um, also raising money for one of your partners, TCI, Tariski Christian Institute, in Ukraine. Thank you so much for your faithful support. If you have any money in a cookie jar or mattress, I'll take it today, please. And it will be used in a good place over there. So our lives are very full and busy, and uh, we, we are just thankful. Did he just call me 85 years old? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> It just dawned on me that maybe I'm looking older than I feel. And by the way, don't I look pretty good? I've got hearing aids now. <laughs> and now I say that because when you walk out, you'll say, did you see Steve has hearing aids? Did you notice that? And now the, ele- the elephant in the room is now out. And yes, I do. And so for you that I've counseled in my office through all these years, and you said, you're not hearing me. Well, there, was, there you go, right there. I just needed hearing aids. All right. So we're here to love the Lord together. It's so good to worship with you. And my, how many new faces just in one year. I have no clue who some of you are. I love that. I don't think I was quiet. Yes, I know you. I just wonder, I I just, I'm so thankful for that. And that needs to happen continually because every person means new texture, new color, new vitality, new freshness, and it means God's word is being resounded out of this place. And it needs to happen all the time. How sweet it is to be God's people. Now, here's a quiz. How, anybody here remember 56 years ago, uh, 56 years, 56 <laughs> weeks ago, my last sermon as senior minister, what did I, what did I preach, what did I preach that day? I hear mumbling. Why I love the church. Wow. Who? It's my son-in-law. <laughs> Give him a candy bar. Actually, we were sitting at one of the, uh, uh, Ethan's ball game yesterday, and I said, I'm going to ask him tomorrow if they remember my last sermon. And Jason Rightway said, why I love the church. Why I love it. So this sermon is kind of part two. This is the longest sermon series you've ever heard. 
That was the first one. This is the second one. It's not the longest sermon you've ever heard. Luke preaches those all the time. This is the longest series that's ever been. It's sort of the counter. Uh, it, it, it builds on what I said, why well, I love the church. These are just a few verses we have in this great series in the Gospel of Mark and how beautiful is the life of Jesus as we're learning him continually about being our king. He's not just our savior and our Lord. He's our king. When we are born again, we have a new king. And everything changes when we come under his authority. Here's what, here's what Mark records for us out of Jesus' life. Chapter uh, 3 of Mark, verse 31. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Hmm, what great words. I love this text because of its simplicity. I love it because it reminds me of the preciousness of being in the family of God. We need to be reminded all the time because we're people and because we're human beings we can, we can just start taking advantage of or we can just assume upon what we have that we think everybody has. And yet this is a unique body joined together, a family. It's precious to us. And let me remind you of four things about this family. First of all, in addition to our biological family, we are God's family. And we sometimes forget that Jesus came from a biological family. His mother was the Virgin Mary, of course. His father was God in heaven, and he had this, this earthly father, the one who, was, who led him as the male person in his life, Joseph. We don't know much about Joseph after Jesus appears in the temple when he's 12 years of age. The Bible tells us Jesus had brothers. They would have been half-brothers. Mary and Joseph were their parents. We have four of his brothers named, and then sisters, just in general. We don't know their names. James, his brother, goes on to be a great leader in the Jerusalem church. He writes the book of James in the New Testament. New Testament. We have Judas, one of his brothers, not the one, not the betrayer, another one called Jude, uh, writes that postcard letter that's tucked away there right before the book of Revelation. Um, they are certainly sold out to Jesus in time after the resurrection by all appearances. That's true. Now, here, they're struggling a little bit. Earlier in the text, if we read earlier, it says they were coming to get him because they, they thought he had lost his senses. They thought he was out of his mind. And I don't think that's because they thought him being the Messiah made him nuts. I don't think that's what it is. In the context, the, the different sects of the Jews were joined together to plot against Jesus. And Jesus, at the peak of his popularity, was not doing anything differently in his behavior. He was still as public as always. And, and, and I think they feared that he was putting himself at risk. I don't think they had him understood as the kind of Messiah that he was, just like the disciples were still struggling. But they just concerned, they were concerned about his well-being. Is he nuts staying so out there? And they, these abusers can come and get him. So that's why they're coming to retrieve him. He had this biological family. And then when he says to them, they come to get them, these, these, this is my family here around me. He wasn't 
He wasn't denigrating his family. He was just reminding them of the blessing and the richness and the broadness of the family of God. Uh, you see, the, the, the nuclear family and God's family are not to be competitive at all. That's not Jesus was doing. They're to be collaborative. And the more your family becomes ingrained in the truth of God, the greater blessing the family of God in this place and around the world is going to become. And the greater, more deeply ingrained you are in the family of God and in God's truth, the richer your own nuclear family is going to be. They feed one another. So Jesus here wasn't being insulting of his, of his family. He was just using that picture to give a, give a understanding of the greater family, the family of God. You know, it was, it was before um, the, the Industrial Revolution that the family, the nuclear family, was seen as, as where you really deepen your children. You prepare them for the next generation. You make sure they're ready to do well in life. They sat around the table. There was conversation, and there were, were meals shared together. Life was shared differently and more deeply. Even in my childhood, it was like that. Um, and, and then... And then um, we have, we have families who understood in neighborhoods that they, they, they ministered to each other. They, whether they were in the Lord or not, families just operated that way. They cared about their neighbors. They were more involved in talking with their neighbors and that sort of thing. And, th and through time and all the technological and communication advancements and, and, and scientific advancements, all that's happened, the more we have, we have become uh, dislodged from one another. We've become a more mobile society. There's been the breakdown of so many things, and we are reaping uh, a society that's in trouble in many ways because of the breakdown of the family. God calls us to be a family. If you are not in the family of God, if you are not committed to the family of God, I'm saying this as a warning because the evil one wants to draw you away. And if he draws you away, you will not be as healthy as a person as you can be. It's the most precious unit we are in, involved with, is God's family, church family. And it's, 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 it's why we love being together. Often, the New Testament refers to this. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but members of God's household. So this, I, this word, Greek word household that does not refer to the expansion, expansive family. Like when you might speak of your family as your aunts and uncles, your grandparents. The word household has to do with those who sit at your table on a regular basis. And that's what the church family is. This is where you regularly get fed. This is where who you're sitting at the table with, so to speak. And I'm so grateful when I look out, there's a lot of people sitting at the table this year that weren't sitting at this table last year. And we welcome you to this place and trust you'll be here as God, and God has incorporates you into the family of God here. And a year from now, the colors should be far different than they are now as more and more people are added to this wonderful family of God. Second, being born again allows us to be members of God's family. There's a common heresy that's been around for a long time that says we are just all God's family. The third verse of Santa Claus is coming to town says we're all God's family. Santa is terribly generous. He's a lousy theologian. So is Alan Jackson. He's saying, here comes a Baptist, here comes a Jew, there goes a Mormon, a Muslim too. I see a Buddhist and a Hindu, I see a Catholic, I see you. We're all God's children. Why can't be one big fam happy family? We can't be because we're not all God's family. 
Jesus made it very clear there are two fathers. In John chapter 8, he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He said that to the, to the religious bigots. So many ideas float around, and they sound so good, doesn't it? It sounds good to say, well, we're all God's family. No, we're not. We're part of the family of man, not the family of God. Well, don't we say, well, God loves everybody? Certainly, and he does. But it's a different kind of love. When you, when you are in God's family, he loves you as his own. The Bible makes it very clear in the New Testament. When we sin against God, we become orphans. We do not have we do not belong to the Lord. Sin cuts off the optic nerve of the soul. We don't recognize the hand of God, the person of God, who he is. We don't acknowledge who he is. And because of that, we are orphaned in this world. That's the damage that sin does. But God, by his grace and his masterful design, made it possible that we could be adopted back into his family and our lives restored to working order. That's why Jesus came, because he wants his kids in heaven with him. And so, we learn to love the family of God. John 1 says, to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Uh, Peter said, you must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The apostle Paul says, we were buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Peter wrote to his, his readers, in the ark, eight people and all were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It's God gave us a place and time. Nobody here just oozes into the new birth. There is a place and a time when we are born again, and God has designed that in baptism, that's what happens. Happens. We are buried in a grave, and we are resurrected to a brand new life. Please, if you have not done that, you may have great experiences with God. You may have faith in God. You may love God, but he calls us to be born again, and that's what we must do. Third, as God's children, the family blessings are ours. Many of you have received an inheritance because your parents died, and they left you something. Our God has done the same thing. Galatians 4, 7 says, God has made you an heir. Do you know how wealthy you are today? Do you understand the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus? Paul wrote to the Ephesians also these words, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Fellowship with God, for one thing we get. That's one of the great things we've inherited. See, the Jews in the Old Testament scriptures, they understood the concept of God as father, but they didn't address him as father. They, 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 they wouldn't pronounce the name of God at all, and they had other names with God Almighty or Most High, the Most High, or, or 29, I think, different Hebrew names for him. But father wasn't one of them, even though the concept was taught. Jesus made it possible for us to pray our Father, Abba, Daddy. It denotes a kind of intimacy just like the word household does that is used in, by Paul in Ephesians as well. 
And you notice his prayer here? Can you put back that scripture again, please? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, he's writing to believers. And what he's saying is, don't take this just as surface. But I want you Ephesian believers, he's saying, and to us, I want you to really get it. We come to Christ. We are made new in him. But then the rest of our discipleship is about this very prayer, that our eyes will be enlightened because we don't get it so deeply right at first. Do you remember this art came out in the mid-90s? The magic eye was called. Remember that? I remember our family gathering in Cincinnati, and uh, my father-in-law got a kick out of it, and so we sat around all day staring at this art because if you could look long enough. How many, how many tried and never got it? Quitters, just quitters. <laughs> well, it was hard, right? It was hard. You, 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 when you looked at that, there was a 3D image in there. There was a 3D image that would pop out, but you sort of had to retrain your eyes how to see it. And, and as around some people, no, I can't get it, can't get it. And that was it. And you try again. But you had, to, you had to relax your eyes. Some people said it worked better when you started like this and then kind of move the artwork away. You had to sort of look through the artwork beyond. There were certain techniques you had to learn. And then what happened? And you remember, be, you remember being there? Oh, oh I, see, I see it. I got it. I got it. You know, there was this kind of excitement that you finally figured it out. To have the eyes of our heart enlightened is something like that. We gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because the glorious inheritance we have more than anything else is Jesus himself. And we gaze at him. We spend time with him. We meditate. Every time you, you share your testimony or hear a testimony, what are you doing? You're gazing again at the beauty of Jesus. Whenever you're in your devotional reading, when you're in a worship service, when, you, when something comes on the radio that you really want to speak to your heart, what are you doing when you think through that and how it blesses you that you're gazing upon the beauty of the Lord again? Every time you hear uh, uh, Luke preach, every time you're in your group and going through Rooted and there's a, something that rises to the surface, somebody shares something and the light bulb goes on, what's happening? The eyes of your heart are being enlightened. That is one of the thrills of being the family of God. We receive these blessings. When we're born again, all the blessings immediately are ours. But then we spend the rest of our lives exploring the depth of what those blessings really mean. The Apostle Paul wrote, Remember that at that time, before Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. People in our society are so desperate to connect with people, aren't they? They just are. That's why social media, social media isn't popular because of the information. Social media is popular because people want to be known. They want to be seen. They want to know their lives are worth something, that somebody cares about their story and what it, it cares if they're going to the dentist or not or, or, or what they're having for supper. I don't really care. But, but what people are saying is, do you, do you notice me? Do you see me? Do you hear what I'm saying? 
People are crying for connection. They're lonely. They desire to be a part. And what better unit to be a part of than the family of God? where you can come just as you are and you'll be loved and embraced. It's here in the family of God, in fact, that you can tell this week what you just did. This is maybe the darkest thing you ever did since you were born again. And you can tell somebody here and they're going to love you anyway and pray with you right then and make sure you're experiencing the blood of Christ over your life so you can get up off the floor and keep walking in Christ again. That's, that's the beauty of the family of God. I've seen it happen in this place over and over again, and I trust it always will. The New Yorker a few years ago, a few years ago just in the late, maybe four years ago, did a report on this business in Japan where you can rent a family if you need one. Here's the article. Elderly Japanese who are isolated from their children by the frantic pace of modern life can rent a family for lunch for a few hours. Just call and ask for a son, daughter, grandchild, whatever relative you want, and that type will show up at your door and greet you as if they haven't seen you in years. Of course, the services are cheap. Three hours with someone will cost $1,130 plus transportation. Its founder says, what is common about our clients is that they are thirsty for human love. And what an opportunity for the church because that's our culture, that's our, that's our society. We are surrounded by lonely people who want to know their lives matter. They can be connected somewhere. How beautiful and lovely and charming and uh, grand is the family of God where no matter who you are, you can come to this place and be valued and loved and brought in and cherished. And finally, all God's children share the same DNA, obedience. Now, we've all got physical traits we don't like. I've got a big nose. I know that. I've been teased about it all my life. It's because my mom, I blame her. She had a big nose. It happens, and there's something about you you don't like, right? It's in your DNA. And the, the DNA of a disciple is that we have this heart that just simply wants to obey our Father. Jesus said, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It's our DNA. Craig Barnes is uh, president of, the of uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. He writes this. When I was a child, my father, who was a pastor, brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger, whose parents had died from a drug overdose. There was no one to care for Roger, so my folks decided they would just raise him as, he, as if he were one of their sons. At first, it was quite difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home, an environment of love, um, uh, love, uh, Love and was free of heroin-addicted adults. Every day, several times a day, I heard my parents say to Roger, no, no, that's not how we behave in this family. No, you don't have to scream or fight or hurt other people to get what you want. And in time, Roger began to change. Did Roger have to make all those changes in order to become part of the family? No. He was made part of the family simply by the grace of my father. Did he have to submit, obey, and yield to the values of his new family? You bet he did. It was tough for Roger to change, but he was motivated by gratitude for the incredible love he had received. Every time Roger was tempted to revert back to his old behaviors, he remained mindful of the grace and the love that delivered him from a family dysfunction, spiritual darkness, and desperation. Is there anything that sounds more like the family of God and God's adoption of us than that? 
We sing just as that we are and just as I am, I come to you. Yes, in any way we come. Sometimes fighting all the way, we come. And he works, God works us with us from there. Now, beware, there's a difference. Roger had to learn it. Because you can experience some behavior modification. In fact, most of us do when we come to Jesus. What do we do? We, we were, now we're following Jesus. Ooh, I can't talk like that anymore. I can't tell those jokes. Or I can't go there anymore. I can't watch that anymore. I can't read that anymore. And, and you can become a better person without Jesus by just changing some behaviors. But you can't have a new heart without Jesus. And what happens in time is, not, it's not behavior modification. It is a changed heart. No longer, not only do you not do those things, but you find yourself, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to go there. I don't want to read that. I don't want to watch that. Because we increasingly have the heart of Jesus. We're transformed into the image of Christ. And all we have to do is come to a worship service and start singing, How Great is Our God. Oh, Lord, my God. Why an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds the hands have made. Yeah. How great you are, right? That's why we dare not, dare not miss any time to be together with our brothers and sisters. It's too important, friends. It's too important. We must stay together. Jesus said, how blessed are those who hear God's word and obey it. So do you display the DNA of a disciple, of brothers and sisters? Doubtful all the time? I don't either. Because we're imperfect people, as much as we want to be like Christ, we're still not, are we? That's why we need each other. And that's why we fail. We help each other up. We keep cheering each other on in the race. We don't give up. We keep going. There's no perfect biological family and there's no perfect church family. I like what someone wrote. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You'll spoil the atmosphere. <laughs> but since no perfect church exists, we're all imperfect men, then please stop looking for that church and love the church you're in. So keep on serving in your church until the resurrection and then we all will form the church without and imperfection. That's where we're headed, friends. God is changing us continually as we stay connected to one another and connected to him. It's the only picture I could find of Tammy Harris and her mother, Joyce Schultz. Uh, Tammy knew she was adopted. So she was, she was 21. She spent a year looking for her biological mother, and she, she, she just couldn't find her. Um, what she didn't know is that her mother, Joyce, had been looking for her for 21 years. The other thing that Tammy Harris didn't know is that Joyce Schultz, her biological mother, was one of her co-workers at the convenience store where she worked. And Tammy was telling a third co-worker about her frustration. Joyce overheard the conversation, started sharing stories then they brought their birth certificates together, and they matched. They were mother and daughter right next to each other, working together every day. They fell into each other's arms. 
and didn't want to let go of the best day of their lives. And there's no better day for you and me than we fall into the arms of a loving father who all our lives long are chasing us down. How many are doing uh, Ancestry.com? Anybody in here? Oh, you're not old enough yet, I guess. <laughs> oh, some of you in the back, back there, yes. You got to be old to be interested, I think. Uh, so, uh, Ancestry.com, it's interesting. Gene genealogists say that you can trace people you're related to back to the 1600s. But, but no further individuals. You can trace your DNA back a thousand years, but, but no relatives that long ago. But for those of us in Christ, it doesn't matter, does it? Because we can trace our spiritual heritage back from before the foundation of the world when God thought of you and me and he knew us and he knew what was going to happen. And people say, well, why would God create us if he knows we're going to make a mess of things? Because that's the nature of God. The nature of God is to create and to love that creation and to provide free will for that creation to love him back. And he was willing to give his one and only son to die in your place and you trace your heritage all back through the story of God through the scripture and he's the hound of heaven searching, wanting, longing for people that are distant from him. And on that cross 2,000 years ago, you trace your spiritual heritage, the one who became sin for you, became sin for you that you may be the righteousness of God, a child of God. What a God. What a, what a, what a Lord. This is why we love the family of God. Because we have one who has thought of us and desired to have us and wants us to be at his table. What a God. What a Father. What a Savior. What a family. This kingdom family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we can so easily and quickly speak your name but how precious our Father. And I deeply pray, Father, that as your family, we will live the life you called us to, that the people all around us will know what kind of Father we truly have. Shine in us, shine through us, shine out of us that your table will be full in Jesus name amen thank you for listening to the podcast today it's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ if you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us go to plainfieldchristian.com if you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.